Welcome to Betrayal Recovery Radio, the official podcast of APSATS, the Association of Partners of Sex Addict Trauma Specialists, hosted by Dr. Jake Porter. APSATS is a nonprofit organization providing professional training and compassionate support to partners affected by problematic sexual behavior and betrayal trauma. In each episode, Dr. Jake guides a conversation of enlightening insights and practical tools to empower those affected by sex addiction and betrayal trauma to use their voices and live their values. The mission of Betrayal Recovery Radio is to offer hope to those in need of healing and growth to those moving through grief. And now, here's your host, Dr. Jake Porter. Hi there, welcome to Betrayal Recovery Radio. I am your host, Dr. Jake Porter, and I'm so glad you're here for this episode. It's going to be one that might be hard for some folks, but also very powerful as well. Um, We're going to be talking about the subject of sexual fantasies and unwanted sexual attractions. So I do want to begin with a bit of a trigger warning, okay? Um, We're going to get into some specifics, not at a graphic level in any way, but some specifics on the topic of sexual fantasy and unwanted sexual attraction that could be painful or uh, triggering for folks who are early on in their journeys or still really working their way through a lot of the trauma that comes with betrayal. So I say that because I want you to take really good care of yourself uh, as you decide whether or not to listen to this episode. Now, why would we do this? Why would I want to talk about this on Betrayal Recovery Radio? Well, because of the reality that so many folks who deal with sexual addiction, compulsive, problematic sexuality have issues around sexual fantasies and unwanted sexual attractions. It's a reality of recovery for many individuals, which means it's a reality for their partners as well, right? And I know these two things about partners. One, that partners often really fear these sexual fantasies and these unwanted sexual attractions. And two, partners are hungry for information that helps them to understand and in a way through that understanding, learn how to and be empowered to make decisions in light of this reality. So that's my hope. I hope that for those of you who are betrayed partners, that you will, as a result of this episode, be empowered to better navigate your own uh, healing and recovery journey and that within your relationship. And if you're listening and you are the one who did the betraying, the one who has the sexual addiction, uh, I know you'll get a lot out of this as well as you'll understand how to more effectively actually um, uh, face and work through what's really going on beneath, below the surface of your unwanted sexual attractions and sexual fantasies. My guest today is Drew Boa. He's an author, a podcaster, a coach, and pastoral sex, uh, pastoral sex addiction professional. And he's also the founder of Husband Material, where he helps men outgrow pornography. Drew has literally helped hundreds of men achieve lasting freedom from porn and heal from all kinds of sexual brokenness. He lives in Santa Barbara, California. And he also, as he proposed this topic to me when we were talking about having him come on the show, he also recognizes uh, the potential 
uh, trigger triggering nature of this show. And he wanted to give a few words before we jump into the conversation as well. So hear these words from Drew and then I'll be right back. Hey everyone. Thank you for having me on Betrayal Recovery Radio to talk about sexual fantasies and unwanted sexual attraction. I realize that this is a very delicate topic, especially for partners. And yet at the same time, as Jake has told me, partners crave information. So in this episode, you're going to get some really helpful information. It's not an excuse for someone's behavior, but it can help bring understanding, clarity, and hopefully connection. All right. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to work to empower you through a better understanding of what's going on with sexual uh, fantasies and unwanted sexual attractions. I, I do want to say before we jump into that conversation um, thank you, AppSats, for the opportunity to host Betrayal Recovery Radio. Um, and for those of you who are listening and you're not familiar with AppSats, AppSats is the Association of Partners of Sex Addict Trauma Specialists. They are the premier organization advocating and training uh, betrayed partners of sex addicts and those who have experienced chronic infidelity. Actually, right now, as I am recording this episode, where uh, AppSats is right in the middle of their um, their foundational keystone training, the multidimensional partner trauma model training is going on right now. If you are a therapist or a coach and you work with or want to work with betrayed partners, I could not more strongly encourage you to look in to the multidimensional partner trauma model training. Uh, too late to get into this one. It's already started, but they'll be offering it again in June. Okay. And spots do fill up. Those trainings do fill up. So you'll want to uh, go ahead and look into that now at appsats.org. That's A-P-S-A-T-S dot O-R-G. While you're looking there, you'll see a couple of other trainings coming up that may be of interest to you. Um, the wonderful Dan Drake and Janice, Janice Cottle are going to be offering in the month of March, uh, the 24th through the 26th, um, Restoring Truth. A disclosure guide training. Uh, they have wonderful resources on disclosure. So if you're a provider who offers those and you want to beef up your skill and your effectiveness, check out Jan, uh, Janice and Dan's training. Also, Jessica Eden's uh, in the month of April, the 13th and 14th, will be offering a training, Betrayed Families Support for Children and Families. So if that interests you, look into that as well. All right. So now, without further ado, I want to go ahead and begin and welcome you into my conversation on unwanted sexual attraction and sexual fantasies with Drew Boa. All right, Drew Boa, here you are. Welcome to Betrayal Recovery Radio. It's good to be here, Jake. Yes. Yeah. Good to have you here. I've been excited about this episode. Uh, before we jump in, for those who don't know you, so I've I've known Drew now for, I don't, I don't know, when we met a year or so ago, maybe longer. I uh, was on his podcast and, and been able to do some stuff with him. He was part of our Choose Connection Summit. Um, but it was not until preparing for this interview that I learned that Drew is actually six foot seven inches tall. So... Drew. Five foot 19. <laughs> Five foot 19. So there's a, there's a fun fact for you guys about Drew. And just as you are uh, 
piecing together your conceptualization of who he is, you can throw that in the mix. Yeah. I, I also learned that your favorite animal is the northern elephant seal. Yes. Can you, can you, before I, we're going to get into a very serious topic, but <laughs> I had, I didn't know. I mean, I guess I should have known that there was more than one kind of seal, but why the northern elephant seal, Drew? We could spend the whole interview <laughs> talking about this one <laughs> question. Uh huh. I, used to think elephant seals were fat, ugly, lazy, and one of those blemishes on God's creation. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. like not really good for anything until I actually saw them in the wild here on the central California coast. And, and I was looking at them with a docent, an interpreter who told me all about their physiology and how every single part of this seal is intricately designed so that it can survive. Wow. And so when I learned the story of this animal, I grew to appreciate it and love it, which actually ties into our topic today because I had sexual fantasies that I thought of as gross and disgusting. Mm. Um, and when I learned the story behind them, it made a lot more sense. Wow. And I could appreciate parts of myself that I had previously hated. Oh, that's that's a beautiful segue to this topic for today on uh, really trying to understand sexual fantasies uh, along with that unwanted sexual attractions. And um, it's a sensitive subject, right? Uh, it's a hard subject. It could be a scary, it, it, you know, for people who've never really thought through this. But I so appreciate um, this conversation, what we're going to get to do with it. So. Um, I just want to jump right in to let's define some terms, right? So when we say sexual fantasy, what is a sexual fantasy? A sexual fantasy, first of all, is a fantasy. And a fantasy is an attempt to rewrite reality. Mm. Every fantasy, sexual or not, has something familiar and something fascinating. I know, Jake, that you are a, an advocate of fiction and mm -hmm. reading fiction. Yes. I share your love for fiction and fantasy books like Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, some science fiction, and all fiction and fantasy can boil down to one question. What if? Oh, what yeah. if animals could talk? Right. What if death is not the end? What if there were wizards and, and trolls and dwarves and elves? One ring to rule them all. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So a sexual fantasy is a fantasy about something sexual asking, what if, what if this person had that one physical quality mm. or what if we did an activity that was extremely arousing to me and there can be all kinds of sexual fantasies. Human beings have a capacity for fantasy that seems unmatched. <laughs> Um, right. In variety. No other creature has, has the same variety of sexual responsiveness that humans do. And so a sexual fantasy is an attempt to rewrite reality in our lives sexually. Okay. I love that definition. I love what you said. It has something that's true or familiar, you said. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah. And then something, what did you say? 
what it is. Fascinating. 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 Okay. So, and again, before we move on, I think this is really important. So you're distinguishing a sexual fantasy from say, I just notice, notice a person over there, or I notice um, a billboard or or an advertisement or something like that. It's beyond that. So that would be an attraction. Right. An attraction is when your brain says, Ooh, I like that. Mm-hmm. An urge is when your brain says, Ooh, I want to go do that. A fantasy is when your brain says, well, what if, and it's more of a story. It's a little bit more developed. Right. So it's more than a flash. It, it takes some time. It takes up some time. It may not be much time, Yeah. but there's some time involved. Okay. Okay. That's, that's great. Okay. And now one more term let's define unwanted sexual attraction. Mm-hmm. What's that? Yeah. So that could refer to any type of sexual attraction or arousal that you wish you didn't have. And actually we all have this at some level. Hmm. I'm attracted to women who are not my wife. Wow. And sometimes it would make my life a lot easier if I wasn't attracted to them. Sure. However, you can have unwanted sexual attraction toward men, toward children, um, toward a fetish like diapers mm. or even toward animals. My specific sexual fetish was for braces and orthodontics. And I can tell you more about that later if it would be helpful, but they can be quite peculiar. Right. And it's in the peculiar particulars that we often find the deeper story behind them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and in my work with, uh, with men who've had unwanted sexual attractions, I mean, sometimes it's something more broad in general, like you said. So it's, it's a man who does not identify as gay. He, he, he very clearly feels firmly within him that he is a straight man and yet he has sex with men. And so there's this kind of broad thing, but, but the particulars, the real detailed ones, um, some of them that you mentioned there, diapers or orthodontics or whatever it is, my experience is that there really is within the, most of these guys, this strong aversion at the same time as having this, this desire. And, yeah. and it's a really painful, um, existence for a yes. lot of these guys. Yeah. 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 It's painful. It's isolating. And, and ultimately it can feel powerless. Because these specific attractions can feel magical, you know, fascinating, as I was saying. Mm-hmm. And what I've found is that they can become less magical and more manageable. Mm. Not saying that you can just remove whatever your unwanted attraction is. I'm also not saying that you should try. That's actually unethical and mm. unhelpful. Mm. However, when we can learn to understand them and appreciate where they come from, then they don't have to control us so much and porn can lose a lot of its power. So that's the hope. That's what I've been able to experience. And that's what I help my clients do and my students. And it's amazing to hear the stories of yeah. men saying, wow, I never understood where this come from. And now that I can understand it, like those elephant seals, I can have some, some space for, for welcoming the good while letting go of what's harmful. 
Wow. And uh, and so any listeners right now, if you're going the good, the good, I, I want to <laughs> encourage you hang in there, hang in there, yeah. because uh, I, I think this may be surprising. So how how common are these things? Uh, I know that something that happens for a lot of betrayed partners is that they go to a support group meeting or they listen to a podcast like this or they read a book and they hear about something and they go, well, then my sex addict husband must have that going on, too. Um, so how common are sexual fantasies as as uh, problematic uh, like we're addressing here or unwanted sexual attractions well it's as common as porn i mean unless somebody really believes that porn is a good thing if you have some attachment to porn or addiction to porn that you would rather not have then this applies to you. Or if that's a situation of your partner, then this applies to you. And I realize that this topic can be so triggering because fantasies can seem seductive to the people who are drawn in by them and also really scary to the people who are affected by the unwanted behavior. And, and so if we can address this one topic, I believe it can lead to a lot of freedom and hope. Yeah, absolutely. So, so let's let's just jump into it then. All right. So um, you got a lot of partners listening to you right now. Also, a lot of guys and women who I'm sure struggle with these things and uh, are on the the addicted or the betraying side. How would you start this conversation? Uh, what would you say to a partner who's fearing these fantasies like, oh, no, I cannot see any good in this. How how can you help help make this something that feels more manageable? Yeah. Well, as long as you are afraid of something, it has power over you. Mm. As long as you are fighting a battle against something, it's taking up your time, your energy, your attention. And so the typical approach to recovery from porn is what I call the military mindset, fighting a <laughs> battle against it which unfortunately is actually a recipe for relapse. Right. And I think you probably understand this better Absolutely. than me. Um, what we resist persists. And fighting yeah. an urge actually intensifies it. If I'm in fight or flight or freeze and I come against that, I'm actually further dysregulating myself, creating even more need for something like porn, or sexually acting out to bring me back to regulation. Yeah. And this is why men or those who struggle with unwanted sexual behavior, men or women often find that if you are fighting a battle against an urge, it can last for hours. It can escalate and feel totally unmanageable. Whereas if you learn some of the skills like mindfulness, you'll find that an urge can actually pass within about 30 minutes usually if you're able to kind of ride that wave, but That's that right. requires a different approach, what I call befriending your sexuality instead of battling your sexuality. Yeah, that's so good. So what we're talking about that, that I love the military mindset uh, label there, that fighting the battle. Um, a lot of people might call it white knuckling it, right? I'm going to just white knuckle my way through yeah. this thing. Oh, don't do it. You know, just right. resist, resist, resist. But you're right. When I, when I, 
just stare at something to don't do it, don't do it, don't, right? Even if it's not a physical, even if I'm mentally turning my attention away, but all my focus is on what not to do, mm-hmm. I'm actually intensifying the focus on that thing, right? Yep. This is one of my major complaints about recovery uh, in general is that sometimes it's so focused on what not to do, don't, 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 don't. And it's really hard to not do something if we don't know what to do. Give me a positive yes. to move towards, <laughs> yeah. right? Uh, it's, it's, it, that could be a game changer. Exactly. But most of us don't have answers for what do I do right. with these attractions and fantasies when they come up. Right. So, so what do you do? How do you face a fantasy in a way that it's more conducive to healing than oh, I'm going to relapse into this thing? This is going to drag me into acting out because I'm sure you could face a fantasy and it, it go that way too. Yeah. Yeah. So what you don't want to do is just avoid attack and ignore. Mm. Those are flight, fight and freeze right there. <laughs> That's going to keep you trapped in trauma reenactment. However, as you said, if you can face your fantasies, then you can begin to understand yourself better, learn to bless what God designed, and then let go of everything else. Mm. I break it down into a few different steps. And I've been really influenced by Jay Stringer in this. There, he's got a great book called Unwanted, which some of you may have read. Right which, Yeah, <laughs> it goes into detail about how when we take the time to get curious, we can learn what we truly desire. Yeah. And that starts with first identifying what the attractions or fantasies are. And then secondly, understanding them. Thirdly, appreciating them. And finally, managing them. So identifying them means... I'm actually going to get honest with myself and others about what it is that I'm drawn to. And that takes guts. Absolutely. That takes courage. Yeah. Yeah. And it's best done in community. Yeah. Yeah. With a professional support or actually a professional support and a group where you can find out that you are able to be loved. That's right. No matter what your attractions are. Yeah. Yeah. So that's huge. Identifying it, especially with others. And then secondly, understanding it. And this is a big topic. If I had to simplify it, um, understanding how this fantasy is functioning to transform suffering into pleasure. Mm. So our sexual pleasure and what arouses us is deeply connected to how we have suffered in life. And that's what the book Unwanted goes more into. If if you want to learn more about that, I like to say that there are three main storylines behind every sexual fantasy. It's like the fantasy is our way of waving a magic wand over the suffering in our life and say, poof, Um, all of a sudden I'm going to turn it into something different. And those three storylines are turning fear into safety, turning shame into glory, and turning loss into connection. And we could go a lot into each of those topics, but when you can really understand it, then you can appreciate it and say, oh, what I desired underneath the arousal was actually good. 
For example, for me, in this fetish for braces and orthodontics, that goes back to when I was in middle school, surrounded by other kids who had braces. I myself had braces. And what happened for me there in that time was one of the key contributors to why my sexual development got stunted at that age. So I needed to figure out what did that 13 year old really need? What did he really want? And then can I bless that desire instead of cursing it? Mm. And then finally managing a fantasy means how can I actually pursue that desire in a healthy way? How can I actually get what it was that I didn't get when I was a boy? And when I can do that, porn loses its power. Wow. Wow. Okay. That was, that's good stuff and a lot. I want to break it down. <laughs> okay. Yep. And I, and I actually want to go back to the first step that you said, um, about putting it out there, getting honest yeah. about it and doing that in community. I mean, we're talking about facing reality here. And, uh, one of my favorite quotes, and of course, right now I'm not going to be able to think of who said it, but mental health is a commitment to reality at all costs, right? Yeah. That, this, this is a true thing in my life, this desire, this, um, <clears throat> and you talked about getting honest with ourselves and others. Um, I think that's hugely important because of the shame factor. Can you, yeah. could you maybe speak to how shame, uh, holds us back from admitting the, the reality of a sexual fantasy or an unwanted sexual attraction? Yeah, I think to some degree, shame can actually protect us from opening up in an unsafe environment. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, many of our spaces where we might want to open up, like at a church or a small group, are just not equipped to be able right. to have these conversations. People don't really know what to do when they hear this kind of story. So I want to honor the emotion of shame insofar as it has protected us from being hurt again by people who don't understand. Mm, that's good. Yeah. And <laughs> we need to find the people who will understand in the places where we really can get support. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. And, and when we do that, and this is something, you know, I, I like to encourage this anytime we can, this is a point that, I know I can take for granted, Drew, maybe you do being in this work for so long, but if there are new listeners out there new to this whole world, you know, and you're just, you're just grasping for next steps, community, community, safe, community, community, right. community, right? Because when I, and I can remember this in my own recovery story, right? The first time I'm in a I was in a 12 step group and I, and I'm in this room full of men and I admit the reality. I actually speak out loud the reality of my own story, the particulars that I wasn't just hiding from other people. I was running from myself, right? Mm -hmm. That I put it out there. None of them got up and ran out of the room. <laughs> Nobody threw, you know, their sandwich at me or hot coffee on me. And in fact, afterwards, I was embraced, I was welcomed, and it was, uh, it was transformative. Yeah. And, and that practice became transformative. Rigorous honesty. Rigorous honesty. That's it. Yeah. And 
some might be saying, well, I've been doing that. Like I've been vulnerable. I've been going to groups. I've been talking about my behavior. Well, how specifically though? <laughs> like That's right. Have you really got down into the details? Because the power is in the particularity. Mm, that's right. That's right. It's, it's, it's like, um, you know, when I'm working with couples and I'm trying to help, help someone maybe validate the pain of their betrayed partner and they say, well, makes sense that you'd be afraid because I did those things back then. <laughs> no specific name it mm -hmm. in the naming yeah. of it in those particulars. Um, well, first of all, words are containers, right? When I can, when I can put something in words, it contains it. And yeah. two, the naming of it, there's, there's power over it just in yes. naming it. Name it to tame it. That's right. That's right. Okay. So, so that was the first thing I wanted to dial in on from, from what mm -hmm. you said. Okay. And then you, then you got into three yeah. storylines, right? right? So, um, three storylines behind every sexual fantasy. Let's take those one by one and let's, yes. let's do a little bit of a deep dive in those. So what's the first one again? The first one is turning fear into safety. Okay. And remember the ingredients of a fantasy are familiarity and fascination. So there's gotta be something from my life. Uh, some kind of suffering, some kind of pain, some something where I felt afraid, and then I'm going to turn that into arousal. Mm. I'm going to turn that into safety because to be turned on sexually, you have to have a safety valve. Mm. And right. I think there's probably more science behind that that you can explain. But I mean, that is an imperative, especially thinking about partners. Like, if you don't feel safe, sex is not happening. It is not appropriate. Right. Like you need to have safety in order to have sexual arousal. And so in a sexual fantasy that can happen in so many ways. For example, in one of my fantasies, I was actually particularly in the position of an orthodontist who is um, putting braces on someone else's teeth. And it's, an act where the other person is being humiliated and I'm in a position of power. So how, how does that relate to this? Well, it goes back to stories from when I was a boy mm. and members of my family intrusively kissed me mm. and forced me to kiss them. Mm. And the mouth was a place where I was not safe. But if I'm in that position of, being the violator, then I can't be violated. Wow. It's providing a level of safety. You might have someone else who actually has the fantasy of being humiliated or being abused. And you're like, Drew, how is that safety? Well, it's all in the symbolism. And for someone who's been abused, sometimes, or sometimes that can symbolize being safe from being blamed. If this sexual action is being done to me, then I'm free from condemnation. I'm free from blame because I didn't do anything. So what matters is not actually the data of the fantasy, but what that means to you, what the symbolism is. So if you want to understand a, a fantasy in terms of safety, you can ask in this fantasy, what am I safe from or who am I safe from? Yeah. For example, if you have been really hurt by men. Maybe the fantasy is 
of lesbian porn and men are not part of the picture and that's a safety valve or it could be a fantasy about men but putting you in a position where you can't be hurt by them anymore so it can really go in any direction yeah what matters is the story that we're telling ourselves yeah okay okay so fear into safety great and mm -hmm. what was number two number two is shame into glory mm. from shame to glory to be turned on you also have to feel good about yourself and so you can ask yourself in this fantasy who am i who do i get to be what kind of person am i and what kind of person am i with for example maybe in the fantasy you are showing off your body or maybe you're with someone who is showing off his or her body. Well, what does that say about who you are? I'm attractive, I'm worthy, I'm wild, I'm delightful. Or maybe the fantasy is a little bit tamer and you're actually pleasing or servicing someone else. Well, who do you get to be in that fantasy? Maybe it's, I am delightful to someone else. I am loving to someone else. Hmm. I'm appreciated for what I do. I often find that a fantasy is revealing what I'm ashamed of about myself and allowing me to, to be the opposite of that. We're often yeah. drawn to the qualities we possess, but don't see in ourselves. And that's often very um, resonate resonating with men who experience same sex attraction. It's not necessarily that they're drawn to someone else, but they're drawn to what they want to be. I want to be that muscular guy. I want to be that popular guy. And so that's a symbol of glory. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, makes sense to me. I think about a, a client I had several years ago who um, and, and his wife really struggled when she learned the type of porn he was watching. It was always scenarios where, um, you know, a, a, a guy would would be seduced would be pursued rather by, you know, a younger woman and, um, an individual work where we got to with that was that as a, as a kid, he, when he was, you know, entering into adolescence and starting his dating, um, experiences, he was always the pursuer. Mm -hmm. He, uh, he felt like if he didn't go after the girl, he'd never get the girl. You know, and so every relationship he'd ever been in, he had to charge hard f forward, you know, to, to get the, the girl. And what it was about was like, for once, can they want me without yes. me having to go first? Right. Uh, he had attached shame. Yeah, he he had. I don't think we named it that at the time, but he had attached some shame to the way he understood his story uh, of his his relationship history. Yeah. So. In that fantasy, he gets to be worthy of being pursued. Right. That's right. That's a great example of from shame to glory. It could also be a kind of safety. Mm. You know, if the other person's pursuing me, then I'm safe from rejection. There you go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sometimes in a fantasy, you can be in it as a participant or you could be an observer. Yeah. And all of that can relate to these concepts of, okay, who, who am I? And what am I being protected from? Right. Wow. Okay. So fear to safety, shame to glory. And what mm -hmm. was the third again? Loss to connection. Ah, wow. Yeah. So the core 
experiences of suffering are fear, shame, and loss. Mm. And the, the dream of what we were really created for and what we desire underneath it all is safety, glory, and connection. Mm. To wow. be safe, to be someone who I feel good about and to be connected rather than cut off. So that's huge for sexual arousal, to feel connected rather than cut off. And to explore this storyline, you can ask yourself in this fantasy, what do I get to have? Who do I get to have? What's the happy ending? Mm -hmm. For example, maybe it's a fantasy about older men or older women being connected to a parent, or it's a fantasy about younger boys or girls. Maybe it's being connected to my childhood. Maybe there's an attraction that feels really strong to someone's smile or laughter, being connected to joy. The fantasy is often symbolizing what we have lost or what we have longed for and didn't get. Yeah. And that's, that's so a big powerful. one. Yeah, that's huge. That's huge. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm big on attachment. I'm, I'm, I'm a connection right. guy. That's uh, to me so uh, foundational to our flourishing as people. And uh, what's coming up for me as I, as I hear you talk about this, Drew, is, and you said this, but it, it's so powerful to me right now, this idea that these are not wrong desires. Mm-hmm. <laughs> These are not yeah. wrong desires, but they are desires that have, that have been, um, hijacked, I yes. guess. Uh, yeah. yeah. Sexual fantasies are never about sex. Mm. If you strip the sex out of it, you'll see what it's really about. Yeah. And it's really about these core needs that we created a sexual solution for. And I think you used a really great word when you said that our arousal has been hijacked because pornography is actually a predator exploiting boys and girls from a young age mm. and hijacking our arousal. Oh, say more. Go on. Yes. Well, young children are being exposed to porn earlier and earlier. And this is creating arousal patterns that wouldn't have even been there before. Mm -hmm. Because of the customized version of whatever it is your right. brain can think of, you can find anything in porn. And you might be exposed to things that you didn't know you were attracted to, but were attracted to. For example, at the recent conference, I shared about at 30 years old, being attracted to someone who's trans for the first time. I had just never met someone who's trans before. never really gotten close to someone. And I was like, wow, where did that come from? And I had to do some work to really process it and reflect on it and see where that was coming from in my story. The point is porn actually introduces things that never would have been there otherwise. And especially when that happens to children, they internalize it. And we feel like, well, porn is all my fault. I chose it. When in fact, you were first chosen by porn and wow. you've been exploited by a hundred billion dollar industry. Mm. Yeah. 
Yeah, thank you. That's that's a powerful, powerful thought. And and so so you know, I'm 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 trying to put myself in the mind of our our listeners right now. So it's like, okay, so where do I go? What where do I start? <laughs> right? Like Yeah. So yeah, what do I do? How and how do I do it safely? How do I do it in a way that I don't end up, you know, falling down into that rabbit hole? Right. So if you find yourself attached to an unwanted attraction or a pornographic fantasy, the best place to start is with the little child Mm. who was first exposed to it or who first found it and began using it. It's not adults who get hooked on porn. It's little children. And so that's why I believe in the power of inner child work. Because when you heal the boy, the man will appear. When you heal the little girl, the woman will appear. So for men or women who want greater freedom, I believe the best place to start is to go back to that little boy or little girl and get to know them. Wow. Wow. And how do you do that? I mean, that could be its own episode, I know, but, but like someone goes, okay, okay. I think I know what you mean. So how do you, how would you encourage someone to start that work? Yeah. Well, that's what my ministry is all about. That's what husband material is all about. (laughs) Yeah. Good. We've got a free private community of men who are doing this work together and outgrowing porn through healing childhood trauma. Yeah. I think you've got some great resources here too. Sure. Yeah. And, and we'll, we'll make sure, well, go ahead and give it now. We'll give it again at the end of the episode. Where would they go to find out more about husband material? Yeah. You go to husbandmaterial.com and we are a movement of men who are becoming sexually, emotionally, and spiritually mature. Hmm. And a lot of that means finding out where our development got stunted mm-hmm. so that we can learn the skills and, and build the relationships needed to grow up. Yeah, for sure. That's good. That's good stuff. So I, w- I want to, we're going to rewind again a little bit, go backwards. Um, so, so let's say uh, I'm, I'm, I'm working with a couple here. Okay. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a recurring uh, a fantasy that the betrayed mm-hmm. partner knows about. And it's, it's, it's limiting their, their life, their life. So what I mean, can, can I use your, your orthodontics one as an example? Is that okay? Please. Okay. Um, I mean, because I've seen scenarios like this. Okay. This is a, a, a fantasy that this guy has and his wife knows about it. It's a real threat to them and their 11 year old has braces or is about to get braces. What do you like? What would you say to both of them around that? Should only mom take uh, the kid to the orthodontist? Like, <laughs> like what, you know, how do we, how do we face this head on mm-hmm. um, in a way that's, that's, that's being considered of all these dynamics in the relationship? Yeah. That's what I would call a trigger tornado. <laughs> that's a good term. Yeah. Yeah. And the reality is 
we cannot and probably should not try to avoid all triggers. We're going to get triggered no matter what. However, triggers don't have to be tyrants. Mm. And when you can learn how to do what we're talking about, identify, understand, appreciate, and manage fantasies and attractions, it becomes a whole lot easier. And you can be with your daughter, let's say, mm -hmm. because you're also learning to be with the part of you that's young and vulnerable right. and being triggered in these moments. Right. So there are really two, two ways that I can show up in, in that situation, which is probably coming for me in about five or six years, by the way. Um, either I'm going to be that little boy mm. and be reacting out of this immature, unhealed place in my heart, or I can be with that little boy. Mm -hmm. And therefore also able to be with my wife, be with my daughter. And, and this is also very tricky. So in this example of braces and orthodontics, somebody might think, well, I mean, there's nothing inherently wrong about that. You know, why don't you just introduce that into your sex life? My wife has a retainer from when she was a teenager. Well, why don't she just wear it? You know, wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be nice to cater to my, to my arousal template? Not really. Mm. Because first of all, I've actually tried that and it held no appeal at all because it wasn't about the sex because it wasn't about the arousal it was about the desire. So when, when we're asking, okay, well, what's okay sexually, what's not okay. How much can I get away with? You know, what's appropriate here, get below the surface of the arousal and get down to the desire. Cause if you deal with the desire then the arousal in many cases will take care of itself. Like if you feel safe, if you feel connected, and if you have a confidence about who you are, then some of those alluring thoughts will lose a lot of their power. And it's not like they'll go away, but they just won't dysregulate you as much. And, and they won't dictate your behavior. You know, right. when my daughter enters puberty, I want to be able to completely be with her and love her as a father. And for that to happen, I need to keep doing my own healing work. I need to stay in a good place surrounded by community and I need to be self-aware. And if all those things happen, then with wisdom and discernment, we can face this. We don't have That's to right. flee it. We don't have to fight it. We That's can take right. a different approach. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so I want to circle all the way back to something you mentioned it almost in passing at the very beginning of our conversation when we we're talking about resisting and the, you know, that militant mindset of fighting. You talk about mindfulness, mm. uh, a practice of mindfulness. And, um, and it was in the context where we were talking about urge surfing, riding yeah. the wave of the urge. And one of the key components of mindfulness, uh, for those of you listening who may not know, is non-judgment. Yes. Right? Yep. Non-judgment. And, and that is such a powerful tool. That non-judgment doesn't mean I don't have an evaluation of whether it would be a good or bad thing. Mm -hmm. Right? Um, can, you, can you talk about the role of non-judgment, like for the scenario of, you know, 
yeah. going to the, the orthodox or some other scenario you can think of the client you've helped. Yeah. Well, let's say somebody is attracted to men pursuing sexual recovery and he ends up being attracted to somebody who's in his recovery group. I can either respond to that in one of two ways. Either I can condemn myself, mm -hmm. I can question myself, I can hide it, I can think about it all on my own and continue to beat myself up and should all over myself right? because I'm feeling this way or maybe just drop out of the group or go sexually act out with the man. All of that is part of that orange cycle, right? Right, right. Um, that you talk about. It's, it's all part of what's fueling the, the system of reward. Yeah. That, that keeps me trapped in, in that cycle. So in other words, attacking myself or just avoiding the situation is, is continuing to, to stay trapped in it. However, if I can observe the fact that, Hmm, I notice I have a sexual feeling toward this man. I'm having sexual thoughts about him. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that fascinating? Hmm. With curiosity, observation without judgment, I can now have a relationship with that part of me rather than being controlled by it one way or the other. And then as I learn about it, it's not driving me out of the group. It's not driving me toward the man. Maybe, maybe it's going to allow me to be more known and even more loved. Wow. If I can be with it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's an inside job first. I'm hearing you saying, I've got to be with that part of myself. I've got to accept that. I've got to bring yeah. that part in, not exile yeah. it, not push it away. And that certainly comes from seeing that done. I mean, yeah, I think so much of this work becomes possible when we see someone else doing it. Absolutely. So I've been very vulnerable today about some of my own story. You have. Thank you. Thank you. Knowing so much. that when I go first, somebody else gets to go second. Yeah. Wow. And when That's we very have powerful. A, a leader in a group who's willing to be honest in this way that we're modeling here, then maybe others in the group will follow suit. Absolutely. That's so powerful. So powerful. So that, that mindfulness practice of acceptance of curiosity, the brain cannot be reactive and curious at the same time, a little bit of power, powerful trivia for you there. And mm -hmm. so, um, that non-judgment, here's something I've, I've, I've said to clients before. What is a thought? What is it? I mean, really? Okay. Some neurons fired in my brain. Okay, they fired that way before. It's not, it shouldn't be like this huge surprise that they fired that way now. Okay. Yeah. All right, those neurons fired together. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So some things that we sometimes tell ourselves are, oh, this must be who I am. Mm -hmm. Arousal is not identity. That's right. Identity has so much more that goes into it. If I have a thought toward 
a woman who's not my wife. Does that make me an adulterer? If I have a thought toward another man, am I gay? If I have a thought toward a child, am I a pedophile? We, we conflate arousal with identity. That's right. Yeah. And then it becomes catastrophic. Mm -hmm. Rather than what you're talking about, mindfulness, curiosity, non-judgmental observation, that allows us to do this deeper work and opens tremendous opportunities for healing because oftentimes curiosity will lead to compassion. Yes. Like, oh, of course I was feeling that way. That makes so much sense. Yeah. Yeah. There's which, a softening and a melting. Yes. Of the yeah. heart. Which, which is, which is, I think what you mean when that last step, you talk about appreciating it, right? Yeah. Appreciating um, the insight that the, this can give us the, the deeper knowledge of ourselves being more intimate with ourselves so that we can be more intimate and connected with others. Um, uh, my, a lot of my doctoral work was looking at the intersection between sexuality and spirituality and neuroscience and how those come together. And sex really is our sexuality really is a window into the soul. Right. Mm. Um, I don't, I may regret saying this for future clients of mine, but you know, when I ask people their sexual histories, I'm not really worried about the sex. You tell me your sexual history and I know a whole lot more about the rest of your life uh, because of, of what it symbolizes. That awareness really is something we can appreciate because with that awareness, we can make changes. Yeah. 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 When we get, from the surface level to the soul level. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that, so good. That is so good. Mm -hmm. yeah. So good. Well, thank you, Drew. This this has been amazing, and um, you know, it's a it's a topic. When when your uh, <laughs> when your idea came to me, and I started reading, I was like, I was I had two feelings coming up. One was like, yes, this is so important. It's so common. It, this this need this this needs to be out there. This is a conversation that needs to be had. And I also had this feeling of like, ooh, that's a scary one for a lot of people. Yeah. So I want to thank you for your vulnerability and your courage, your willingness to share this, uh, to share not just your professional but your personal insights. Mm -hmm. uh, that says a lot about you and your heart for uh, the healing of others. It's awesome. You're welcome. Yeah, this doesn't have to be scary. Mm -hmm. It can be deeply satisfying to yeah. discover what it is that I really wanted all along. Absolutely. You can become less afraid, less ashamed, and less attached to some of those old neural pathways. And I think especially for partners, the goal in my mind is not to make excuses. The goal is to bring understanding. And with greater understanding, as you said, we can work with that. We can experience greater change. That's right. So well said. Thank you so much. One more time. Tell people, uh, 
uh, about where, how they can find you, what you got going on, what you're doing. You, you offer such good stuff for so many. Thanks, Jake. Well, you can find me and my private community for men at husbandmaterial.com. We have a weekly podcast where Dr. Jake has been one of our favorite guests. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I'll be back. We'll make that happen. Please. Yeah. And we're specifically for men. Um, There are some awesome resources for women out there. uh, Husband material is specifically helping men. All right. Well, thank you again, Drew. I appreciate it so much, my friend. Uh, Awesome, awesome conversation with you. Love being with you. All right, man. You've been listening to Betrayal Recovery Radio, the official podcast of AppSAS. If you've received help or hope from this episode, I encourage you to share it with someone you know. If you've not yet done so, please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite listening platform. Thank you for joining us. I'm Dr. Jake Porter, and you can always email me directly at jake at appsats.org. I'd love to hear your ideas, questions, or comments about the show. Until next time, keep choosing to use your voice and live your values. It's good for you and for this world.